to her and demanded that they tell her or tell them uh, their, their fortunes. And they just kept doing these kinds of just really sick, evil kinds of things towards people. Another time, he and his rebellious friends started harassing pastors. And they would get on these, these pastors for, for preaching the word of God, and they would make fun of them. And then one day, they decide to go uh, to a revival that George Whitfield was preaching at. And they were going there to harass Whitfield and try to get him off his game. And Whitfield started to preach. And a deep sense of sin came over Robert. And that started a three-year journey where he began searching out the claims of Christ until finally at the age of 20, he made peace with God. He surrendered his life to Christ. And he immediately set out to become a preacher. And while he was studying to become a preacher, about 1757, 1758, he wrote these words, Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing calls for songs of loudest praise. And he preached for many years, and he was a very successful preacher. He did a great job for many years until he came to a hard place in his life where he and the church didn't exactly see eye to eye, and the church uh, made some unfair accusations about him. And this made him so distraught that he decided to not only leave the church he was preaching at, but he left the faith. And as you can imagine, he was deeply hurt, and he allowed this hurt from the church to affect his walk with the Lord, and he completely walked away, and he became a very lonely man. He became deeply angry. He became extremely critical in his old age. And one day, as a miserable old man, he's riding a stagecoach, and the lady sitting across from him started to sing these words. Come thou fount of every blessing. And here this lady is singing the song that this guy wrote. And Robert says to the lady, he says, Lady, I am a poor, unhappy man. And I'm the unhappy man that wrote that song. And I would give a thousand worlds to enjoy the feelings I have now. Or the, the feelings that I have then to have them now. At the end of his life, he came back to the faith and he said, I lost that great emotion because I failed to flame the embers of love in order to keep the joy burning bright in my life. I see so many defeated Christians, people who say they believe in Jesus Christ and yet their lives are so far from joy. Stacy and I watched a movie the other night, uh, A Man Called Otto. Has anybody seen this movie yet? Uh, you know, I, I, th I thought it was, it, was, it was really, really good. And uh, in the movie, Tom Hanks, he's Otto, and he doesn't like people, period. And he goes to extremes just to avoid interacting with them. He only interacts with the people that he has to. And uh, he comes into contact with all kinds of people. He doesn't call them people. I don't want to give you a spoiler alert, but he calls them idiots. I'm sorry for kids who aren't supposed to use that word, but that's what he calls them in the movie. And despite 
despite his temperament and his lack of social grace, the neighbors tend to look the other way and say, well, that's just the way that he is. But they still interact with him because they have to because they live on the same street. And so they even call on him for help every once in a while. And, and at one point in the movie, his neighbors who just moved in across the street, Marisol and Tommy, their two daughters, Luna and Abby, they're awesome. They just move in across the street and like good neighbors, they go over and they introduce themselves to Otto and Otto says a quick hello and then he shuts the door and Marisol in her mind knows that there's more to Otto's story and so she begins to befriend him. She's determined to make him feel cared for. And over time, Marisol and Tommy, they start asking Otto to do things for them, uh, any, anywhere from, from maintenance around the house to driving lessons to even babysitting the kids, which I think was a big risk in the movie. But anyway, Otto wants to at first say no, but for some reason, he eventually says yes. He just cannot continue to say no to them. And he starts to warm up to this family just a little bit. And I'm not going to tell you how it ends because I don't want to spoil it for you. But let me ask you something. How joyous is your life? Have you ever just thought, I don't want to be one of those people that has allowed the circumstances of life to beat me up so badly that when I get to the end of my life, I'm just a cranky old person? Have you ever looked at cranky old people and said, I don't want to be like that? Are you a cranky old person right now? No, don't say, don't raise your hand, all right? But, but here's the deal. I don't know of anybody that wants to be that way. And so I want to ask you this question. How joyous is your life going to be at the end of your journey? Do you want to be in a period of your life where you're like the guy that wrote this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, who walks away from the faith, who fails to realize all of the good things that God has placed in his life, and, and not only walks away from preaching, but walks away from the faith com- completely. Yeah? Do you know someone in your life whose faith has gone sour? Someone who's just become this bitter, this critical, this judgmental person who has absolutely no contentment, no peace, no joy in their lives? I tell you what, I don't want my existence to be like that. I don't want your existence to be like that. And when we sing this song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, we need to do so with the joy intended. Now, I know that the song was written. We always sing, I don't know, maybe it was supposed to be a little more upbeat, but I always have a tendency personally to just really sing this slow, and that's fine. But, but, but I think we can sing it slow with a joyous attitude, right? This song is meant to be one of, of joy. When you look at the lyrics, I think it's a song that should be overflowing with enthusiasm. Actually, this week I tried to sit in the office and, and, and I actually like started singing this, Come thou fount of every blessing. That doesn't fit, right? But that's the attitude that we should sing it with. Because here's, here's, what, here's how we know this. John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. This is what Jesus says. He says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And so Jesus is saying, when you remain in him, when you remain in his love, you will be so filled with joy that it's going to overflow. There's this 
never-ending fountain of joy that just keeps bubbling up, just keeps flowing over. And oftentimes, here's what happens. We as Christians, we get sucked into the world's mindset of what happiness is. And we think we have to do this, we have to be this, we have to have this to be happy. We talked about this last week uh, from Ecclesiastes 3, how Solomon tried that, how the writer of Graves into Gardens, that's what he was writing about. I've searched the world, I've tried this, nothing's going to do, only Jesus is going to do it for us. We learn that there's absolutely nothing better than Jesus. And so if we remain in Christ, we're going to have that joy. But there are some things that happen in life, and I think probably some of you can relate to this. There are some things that happen in life that absolutely suck the joy out of us. There are things that rob us of the joy that God intended for us to have. This is what happened in the life of the writer of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. He allowed the circumstances to rob him of the joy. He wandered away. He allowed the situation in his church to steal his joy. And I just imagine that there are a few things that happen in this life that steal your joy. And I would just imagine that there are a few things in this life that make Satan squeal with delight. There are a few things that happen in life more than a Christian walking away from the faith. I, I don't know of anything that probably makes him happier than a Christian who gets so down and so distraught and so upset over things that they have this really, really sour attitude and they walk away from the faith. Satan gets all fired up. I just kind of picture him with a foam finger, you know, hold up, yeah, look what I did. You know, he's just a fan of that kind of thing. And so we have to be on our guard and we have to recognize what the enemy is trying to do to us. We have to do what the writer of this song is telling us to do. We need to understand that Jesus is the fount of every blessing. And we need to tune our hearts to sing his grace every single day of our lives. How do we tune our hearts? Have you tuned your heart to sing his grace? You know, you can tune your heart. I've, that's what I think happens sometimes. We, we, we're around people whose hearts are just out of tune. Right? How many of you like to hear a singer that's out of tune? Nobody. How many of you like to hear an instrument that's out of tune? Nobody. How many of you like to be around somebody whose heart is out of tune? Nobody. And so we as Christians, we have to tune our hearts to sing His grace. And I believe the first thing that we have to do in order to do that is this. We have to avoid the joy busters in our life. Right? If we want to tune our hearts to be joyful... We need to avoid those things that rob us of our joy, right? If we want to live our lives as much like Jesus and as much as, as, as of a joy-filled life as we can, then we have to avoid those things that suck the life out of us, that steal our joy. Here are a few of them, if, if, in case you were wondering what are they, here's a few of them. I think one of them is relationships. For some of you, it might be a relationship that you're in with maybe a friend. You ever, you ever been in a relationship with a friend and you're just kind of like, why am I even a friend of this person? <laughs> you know? And you just keep going on and on and on. You try and you try and you try and you try. And, and you're doing your best to try to win them. But if you find that person dragging you down to a level, if you find that person dragging you away from Christ, you need to let it go. 
right? Maybe you're dating someone. Maybe it's family. I pray it's not your marriage, but if it is, let, let us help you with that. We have counselors that we can recommend to you to help you with that. If you're in a relationship with someone that is sucking the life out of you, you need to cut that relationship off. You need to get help until you're healthy enough to deal with that yourself. Another thing I think that can rob us of our joy or, or suck the life out of us is traditions. And some traditions are good, but when we get stuck in traditions, sometimes I think that can rob us of the joy that God intended. We carry with us sometimes this relig- religious baggage that we carry into relationships, and, uh, and it just kind of weighs us down, and it starts to drain the joy out of us. Paul asked a very penetrating question, and in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, listen to what Paul says. He says, where is that joyful spirit? We felt together. He's writing to the church of Galatia. Apparently, the church of Galatia is filled with a bunch of people that have lost their joy. And he says, where is that joy that you once knew? Where is that that we once felt together? In other words, what has happened in your life that has caused you to be such a sourpuss? And I think that's a question that we need to ask ourselves today. If you find yourself, you find yourself down and you find yourself in a bad mood and you find yourself in a situation where you don't feel that joy, where is that? What happened? I think that's something we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Is there really joy in the house of the Lord today? I love that song by Phil Wickham. When it comes on the radio, that's one of those, boop, there's joy in the house. Is there? Is there joy in this house? I think there's a lot of joy in this house. Is there joy in your house? Is there joy in your home away from here? William Barclay said this, A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms, and nothing in all religious history has done Christianity more harm than its connection with black clothes and long faces. Can I get an amen to that? C.S. Lewis said this, It is not so much the joy of the Lord we're seeking as the Lord of joy himself. I like that. And that quote hit me like a ton of bricks when I saw that this week. It's not so much the joy of the Lord as much as the Lord of joy that we need to be seeking. And here's what happens. This is what I've been guilty of. I'm going to guess this is what you've been guilty of at times too. How often have we come into the house of the Lord hoping to walk away from church with this joyous feeling in our hearts and in our minds. We're hoping that we feel better when we walk away from here and we hope that we we like what the music is like and we hope that the sermon is good and we hope that the people are nice. And those aren't necessarily bad goals. Those are good things. I hope they happen every week. But if we come into the house of the Lord seeking the Lord of joy, those things really don't matter all that much. We we should shoot for those things, but instead of coming in saying, Lord, bless me and give me this joy, we should come in saying, Lord, how can I see you today? How can can I be a vessel? How can I present myself to you? And, and then when those, those other things that, that sometimes bring us joy, when they do happen, that's just icing on the cake. I believe if we came into the house of the Lord seeking the Lord of joy, if we come into the house of the Lord seeking the fount of every blessing, for the most part, it, does, most part it doesn't really matter what the, the music's like. It doesn't matter if it's uplifting or not. It doesn't matter if it's well-written and delivered, the sermon 
doesn't matter if someone gives me the affirmation I needed. Doesn't matter if the associate minister makes a bad joke about you. You know? If, by the way, <clears throat> the reason I'm no good at golf is because I'm always working on sermons and praying in my office. I don't have time to go out and play golf like he does. And so, <laughs> no, it, if we come into the house of the Lord seeking him, you're going to be amazed at how incredible it is to be in the house of the Lord regardless of what happens up here. Another joy buster, well, within reason, as long as it's not sin, right? Another joy buster is this, trials, right? Now, the thing about trials is that a lot of them can't be avoided. Some of them are self-inflicted, but, but sometimes there are trials that, that come our way that we just, that we have no, absolutely no control over. And James said this about trials, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. I read a story the other day about a mother in Maryland who came home from a neighbor's house one day. She'd left the kids at home by herself. It was a Saturday afternoon. She'd left the kids at home by herself. She comes home. She walks into the living room. She saw five of her youngest children. They're all huddled around together. And when it says five of her youngest children, it makes me wonder how many children she had. Five of her youngest children, they're all huddled together, and they're all concentrating on whatever is going on in the center of this huddle in the center of the room. And she walks up quietly to them, and she, she's, kinda, she's trying to discover what's going on. And as she peered over the shoulders of some of her children, she saw right in the middle of her kids five baby skunks. And she screamed at the top of her voice, children, run! And so each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> what do you do with that? Right? And sometimes life is like that, right? We come into a situation and we're like, man, this is bad. I need to get away from it. And then what we run to next is maybe worse than what we had to begin with. You're going full steam ahead in life and the wind is in your sails and you suddenly you hit a sandbar and it's like confronting a room full of skunks. And it's difficult and you just want to get out of the room. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe all your joy is gone. Listen, we've said this before. Our happiness shouldn't depend on what happens to us. You might want to write that down. Our happiness does not depend on what happens to us. Sometimes we tie our joy and our happiness to the things that we can have or do or be. But Paul says this to the Corinthian church. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. So Paul is saying, listen, church, we've been through a lot of stuff together. We've been through a lot of trials together. But I'm still with you, and, and I'm, I'm with you, and I'm happy despite all of that junk that we've been through or that we're going through. The third century historian by the name of Eusebius, he records this. He says, a vast multitude was imprisoned in every place. The prisons, which were prepared for murderers and robbers, were filled, because of their faith, with spirited bishops, joyful pastors, and happy deacons. 
So there was no longer room for those condemned of crime. So basically what he's saying is these places that were prepared for people who were criminals is now being filled with all of these Christians and Christian leaders. And yet he describes them as joyful pastors, happy deacons, spirited bishops. In the midst of their horrible circumstances, they had this passion. They had this joy. And it never left these Christians. So that's my goal. I, I want to be a, a Christian that like, just because I'm having a bad day, that's not going to rob me of my joy. Just because somebody in my life, somebody in my path does something stupid, I'm not going to let that affect my attitude toward Jesus or toward them. Man, I tell you, again, Stacy and I, we were, we were out last night and we're, we're eating uh, at, at one of our favorite places to eat. And no, it wasn't Texas Roadhouse. It was, it, I know that's what you're thinking. You all are like, oh, they're at Roadhouse, you know. No, we, we were at Camila's uh, Mexican restaurant. Love that place. And, and so these, these, these guys were sitting behind us and every other word out of this guy's mouth was a cuss word. And it was the big kahuna. I mean, it wasn't just like something that was casual. It was, it was the big one. And man, it was like, at first, I'm getting aggravated, and then we just kind of started laughing about it. We're like, this guy, he doesn't have a, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, I wasn't going to let what he was doing, Stacy wasn't going to let what this guy was doing rob us of, of, of joy. Through it all, the presence of Jesus, the passion of joy, should be in our lives too, just like it was in those people in prison. Yeah. However, if a trial unexpectedly comes your way, know that your joy is from Jesus and anything that happens to you uh, or doesn't happen for you doesn't have to take away your joy. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the joy builders. These are the, these are the things that we need to cling to. Those other things, we avoid them. These are the things that we need to cling to. These are the things that we need to latch on to that can bring us joy. And I think the very first thing that we need to cling to is worship. I believe one of the biblical examples of building joy in our lives is worship. Genuinely seeking the Lord of joy worship. Right? We're seeking Him. And that's not just a Sunday morning thing, even though that's a big part of it. It's an everyday kind of thing where we are worshiping the Lord with everything that we are doing. One of the most amazing stories, I think, from the book of Acts was found chapter 16, verse 25. It's around midnight, beginning verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can you imagine what they're thinking? You know, I don't want to speculate too much on that, but imagine what the other prisoners are thinking. They're singing praises to the Lord, and the other guys are listening. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He knew that that was a dishonorable thing, right? As, as a prison guard for prisoners to escape, that was a, such a dishonorable thing. He was ready to kill himself. But Paul shouted, verse 28, stop. 
Don't kill yourself. We're all here. Well, the first thing I'm going to do, if the prison walls burst open or the gates burst open and I'm a free man, I'm hightailing it out of there. Anybody with me? No, they stick around. I said, no, don't worry. We're still here, right? First of all, they're in prison because of their belief in Jesus. So basically, Jesus is the reason they're in jail. And instead of being upset with Jesus, they start singing praises to him. And that's important for us to understand. Because I think here's what happens sometimes. We get upset sometimes with people in the church. And then we equate that with Jesus and we get so upset and we get mad at Jesus or we get mad at that person in the church and then we just kind of say, well, I'm done with them. These guys are singing praises to Jesus. God sends an earthquake to free them and they don't run away and hide. As I said a moment ago, they stayed there and they didn't just stay there. They witnessed to the jailer who's getting ready to take his own life. Here's what it says. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. That's all in the middle of the night. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he, is in, he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So worship regularly. Worship every single day. It's a joy builder in, in your life. Have you ever, like, missed a week of church, and then your week, you're just kind of like, what's, what's going on? This week just feels really off. It just feels really weird. I'm in a mood. Maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's why. Another joy builder is this. Bear fruit. Right? But put into practice those things you should be doing. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. So if you want to build joy in your life, put these things into practice every single day. Remember what the writer of today's song said? He said, I lost that great emotion because I didn't flame the embers of love in order to keep the joy burning bright. How do you fan the embers of love in your relationship with Jesus, you practice the fruit of the Spirit. And plug into the power. The Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's power in a joy-filled life. When you're living a joy-filled life, people notice. Why do people notice so much when you're living a joy-filled life? It's probably because most of them are not. Right? Would you agree with me? The people that you come into contact with, most of them that you work with, most of them that you live around, most of them that you see in the grocery store, if, if they do have joy in their lives, they have a funny way of showing it. Right? And so when you live a joy-filled life, you are sticking out. You are shining. You are that light in the darkness. You are that city on a hill. And people are going to recognize the difference between how you're acting and and what they're used 
to see. And they're going to want to plug into that same power that you're plugged into. And then they're going to start to ask questions. And it's a great opportunity to share the love of Jesus with someone else. So plug into that. Another joy builder is laughter. You may have noticed we like to do that around here every once in a while. Laugh more. It truly is great medicine. There have been times, I know this is going to surprise you. There have been times when I've been in a little bit of a mood. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. I'll get in a mood every once in a while, right? And sometimes when I get out in a mood, I'll find something to do. For instance, like, it, 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 like um, sometimes I'll, I'll do yard work or something like that. If I'm in a mood, I'll go out and do yard work, right? And, and I put my headphones on as I'm cutting grass. And, and they're, they're the headphones. I mean, they're not the little earbuds. They're the Princess Leia-looking things, right? I put on the side of my head. They're sticking out here. And they're awesome, and I love the sound. And they're noise-canceling. And so I get lost in my own little world out there cutting grass. And a lot of the time, sometimes I listen to music. But a lot of times I listen to uh, uh, Nate Bergetzi and, and his podcast because it's so funny and I know that if I can laugh for a little bit normally that will change my moods and so I'm walking around the yard and I've got my Princess Leia headphones on and I'm cutting grass and I've just got a big old stupid grin on my face and the neighbors are probably thinking what in the world is wrong with him but I don't care laughter is good medicine it can change your whole mindset Sometimes I read a statistic the other day. This came from LifePoint. It said a child laughs 400 times a day on the average, while an adult laughs only 15 times each day. Why? Most kids don't care about what's going on around them. They're just who they are. Mayo Clinic reported back in 2005 that laughter helps breathing by disrupting our normal respiration pattern and increasing our breathing rate, it increases circulation and improves the delivery of oxygen and nutrients to tissues throughout our bodies. Their research showed that laughter stimulates your immune system to fight off disease by increasing the concentration of immunoglobulin A. That's a big word. In your saliva, immunoglobulin A in your saliva. I didn't even know you had immunoglobulin A in your spit, but you do. And then by increasing the activity of laughter, it increases the number of T cells in your body. Laughter basically decreases cortisol levels, stress hormones, and that's why, Right? It's a natural stress reliever if you can laugh. Have you ever laughed so hard that you doubled over or you fell off your chair or you spit your food out or you wet your pants? Can I say that? You know why that is? Because you can't maintain muscle tension when you're laughing. In other words, when you're laughing, you relax everything. You're not so tense. One of my favorite stories that Wayne Smith used to tell is about a nurse with a grumpy attitude. Man walks into the doctor's office. He walks up to the counter. Grumpy nurse barks at him, says, down the hall, first door on the right. Go in, take off all your clothes. Doctor will be in there soon. The guy said, listen, ma'am, I just have a sore arm, and I don't think it requires all that. She repeated, down the hall, first door on the right. Go in and take off all your clothes. Doctor will be in soon. He said, but nurse... 
down the hall, first door on the right, go in and take off all your clothes. So he goes down the hall, he walks the first door on the right, saw another man standing over in the corner, just freezing, absolutely standing there in his underwear, and he's shivering. And he says, man, that nurse out there, she's something else. And he said, all I have is this sore arm, and she told me to come in here and take off all my clothes. You know, tell me about it, I'm the UPS guy. That has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but laughter's good, right? It's good. We have so much for which to be thankful. We have so much to laugh about. We have so much for which to be joyful, and Jesus is the source of that joy. He's the source of every good thing that we have. There's a line in the song that kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. Uh, And again, this is an old hymn. And, and there's a lot of King James kind of English in it. But there's one line that's always jumped out at me. Verse 2 starts out by saying, Here I raise my Ebenezer. Right? Or here I raise mine Ebenezer. Say, what? <laughs> you ever, when we were singing that earlier, you ever, you know, we, we just kind of get on autopilot, right? Here I raise my Ebenezer. What is it? What is my Ebenezer? What's this song about? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. And so basically what happened, Samuel was erecting this memorial to God for always being there for him. And the writer of this song is saying, I'm raising my Ebenezer to you, God. I remember that you've always been there for me. Let me ask you a question this morning. Up to this point in your life, has the Lord always been there for you? Even in the darkest hour when you felt like you were all alone? Do you understand that he was right there with you? When it seemed that nobody else was? The writer of this song is alluding to the time in his life. Even even before he knew Jesus. Even when God was seeking him out and calling him. When God, God was watching over him and he was there for him. You know what I think our Ebenezer is? I think our Ebenezer is us. Not Ebenezer Scrooge. Some of you are good at that. I'm good at that. Our Ebenezer should be our lives. We say, God, this is my memorial to you. This is my gift to you. This is how people are going to recognize that you've always been there for me. The way that I live my life is my Ebenezer to you. I want you to just for a moment, before we get into our invitation, I'm going to ask John to put that second verse up on the screen. And as Caleb and Zion are playing this, would you just, just read that? through a couple of times maybe just spend a moment in silent prayer and then I'll ask the worship team to come
they're going to lead us in a song of decision. If, if you have a need this morning, if, if you want to surrender your life to Christ, repent of your sins and be baptized into him, we encourage you to do that. Maybe you want to become a part of our church family. We encourage you to consider that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you just want to say, Lord, I'm raising mine Ebenezer. I'm giving my life to you. Here it is. Take it and use it. Let's just read through this. stand with me please and go to the Lord